The Island Digest is a sampling of the stories in this week's Journal of the San Juans, Islands Sounder, and Islands Weekly, which are on newsstands now. The March 1st edition is brought to you by Orcus Center. I'm Caleb Summers. Headlines from the week of March 1st, 2023. Tugboat partially sinks off Lopez Ferry Terminal. Young Friday Harbor wrestlers take home medals at state tournament. Vikings compete in top eight at state finals. Plus choice excerpts from the sheriff's log. From the Islands Weekly, Tugboat Partially Sinks Off Lopez Ferry Terminal by Kelly Balcom Bartuck. A 45-foot tugboat partially sank off the Lopez Ferry Terminal Wednesday morning, February 22nd, with an estimated 400 gallons of diesel fuel on board. Initial reports indicated the semi-submerged tug sank in the vicinity of a larger barge operation that was on site to repair the Lopez Ferry dock. According to Elena Thompson, the new executive director of Islands Oil Spill Association, the vessel's sinking was reported by American Construction Company, owner of the tug and barge. We got a call this morning at 8.45 a.m. that this was happening, says Thompson. We sent a responder out on Lopez Island who got eyes on the scene and took some photographs and assessed the weather. We reported that to the Department of Ecology and the U.S. Coast Guard, adds Thompson. We confirmed that all the proper channels were notified and responders were en route, and now, due to the weather and other factors, are taking command from DOE and U.S. Coast Guard and waiting as this unfolds. Early Wednesday morning, photos taken at the scene showed the vessel's flybridge was visible above the surface and a diesel sheen visible drifting towards shore. According to Ty Keltner, public information officer for the Department of Ecology, responders were en route with air quality monitors to assess any diesel vapors. In addition, the response contractor that had been hired was Global Diving and Salvage, the same group that recovered the Aleutian Isle back in 2022. By nightfall Wednesday evening, much had been accomplished. According to the Department of Ecology Wednesday afternoon, responders secured rigging to the sunken tugboat to Lallip so that the crane already on scene could move the vessel alongside the barge in preparation to be lifted. Once secured, Divers began inspecting the vessel for damage and plugging vents and any holes in the hull. Boom was deployed around the vessel as a precaution and will remain in place until the vessel is dewatered, lifted, and ready for transit to Tacoma. According to Keltner, lift operations began Wednesday evening and the vessel was safely removed from the water late that very night. No pollution was released when they lifted the tug onto the barge, adds Keltner. It makes a big difference when you have an accident and there's a crane sitting next to you. The tug was transported by barge to Tacoma once weather conditions improved. In addition to recovery efforts, DOE reported air monitoring began Wednesday afternoon, continued during the lift operations, and that no air pollutants had been detected. DOE also says they would be looking at impacts to nearby shorelines over the next several days, along with investigating the cause of the sinking. 
IOSA Director Thompson began her job in January, making this her first on-the-ground response. While you never want to have an incident in the San Juan Islands, if you have an incident, this is the way you want it to go, she said. I don't think any incident response is ever perfect, and I don't think that it's realistic to think that we can make it perfect, but I think from start to finish, there was a lot of communicating, there was a lot of all hands on deck. There were a lot of resources that were immediately dispatched, and I think that it all paid off, and it all worked out despite the weather. And I'm thankful, because that's what you want. From the Journal of the San Juan Islands, Young Friday Harbor Wrestlers Take Home Medals at State Tournament by Heather Spaulding A group of young Friday Harbor wrestlers traveled to Tacoma February 18th, where they competed along 1,860 other young wrestlers at a state-level competition. Those students include Emilia Berwald, who became a novice state champion and third-place winner in the Open State Tournament. Blade Bison placed third in the novice and sixth in the Open State. Wyatt Berwald placed third at novice. Jet Olson placed second at novice and eighth in Open. Harper Felice placed third and novice and sixth at Open. Killian Hekel, novice state competitor, Roman Jackson, novice state competitor, and Liam Wilson, novice state competitor. The team also includes competitive wrestlers Sebastian Visiglia, Jonah Visiglia, Reese Olso, and Casey Bogard. The event is huge, Berwald explained, and anyone could be intimidated by all the lights and action. You have to have the confidence, the wherewithal to focus in that setting, Travis Berwald, assistant coach, explained. Wrestling, he added, requires both mental and physical preparation, and it is okay to be uncomfortable and outside your comfort zone. Wrestling is, after all, a contact sport that includes learning moves and positions that are not always comfortable. Predating football, rugby, baseball, or basketball is wrestling. It's a sport that requires close contact, highly individual, yet full of team spirit. You win or lose on your own, and that is a life lesson, Burwald said. Once you get out on the mat and shake your opponent's hand, it's up to you. Four years ago, head coach Lance Bison, assistant coaches Kurt Olson and Shane Bison and Burwald, saw the need for a young wrestling club to act as stepping stones toward being on the high school team. As part of the Ascend Wrestling Academy, the group consists of students as young as five years old, all the way up to the eighth grade. Ascend has groups all across the state that come together for tournaments and at the end of the season, a state competition. Four years ago, only five Friday Harbor students participated. This year, there were around 15. The team is co-ed, some of them Tiger football cheerleaders. We have been waiting to start until the end of football season because many of our wrestlers are football players and cheerleaders, Berwald said. But next year, they hope to start a little earlier to get more practices in before tournaments. The group is not part of Friday Harbor Athletics or Island Rec, 
but a private group that has had the good fortune of donors who have helped pay for two days a week at the fairgrounds and uniforms. The season usually lasts from mid-October through mid-February, with practices Tuesdays and Thursdays from 4 to 5.30 p.m. As the program grows, the coaches hope to add more mat time. It's a challenge. A student in Seattle might wrestle five times a week, while our kids only wrestle twice, Thurwald said, not to mention travel time and costs from both ferry and hotels to get to the tournaments. It's a lesson for the youth, he added, and sometimes the coaches do have to remind the wrestlers that the other teams may be on a different skill level. It also makes winning more special, Thurwald added knowing they have to put the work in for the win. There are two categories, one for those who do not have two years of experience, the novice category, and the open category. The open category, as the name suggests, is open to a variety of skill levels. To see how far the students have progressed in a matter of months makes the coaches proud. Berwald said, they start out so green, and to see that progress, they say practice makes perfect, but that isn't true. Practice makes progress. The future of Friday Harbor Wrestling looks bright, he added. We couldn't be more happy with these kids, Berwald said. All the kids busted their butts, poured their blood, sweat, and tears into it. We went through power outages, snow, ferries... Through it all, the wrestlers built strong friendships, strength of character, and learned lessons that hopefully will last a lifetime. We are so passionate about this sport. It takes a community to build this program, Thurwald said, thanking the San Juan County Fairgrounds, BBB Ranch, the parents and families that support the students and provide them with the confidence and mental support they need to compete well. It is an individual sport, but at the end of the day, we come together as a team. We call it our wrestling family, Thurwald said. From the Islands Sounder, Vikings to Compete in Top 8 at State Finals by Jefferson Freeman The boys' basketball team is continuing to compete in the state championships. After falling short against Nia Bay, the Vikings finished up the Tri-District Tournament with a resounding win over Muckleshoot Tribal 70-40. Diego Lago led the way with 20 points as the Vikings punched their ticket to state for the second consecutive year. With the win, the Vikings found themselves in the fifth-place game facing off against number 1-ranked Sound Christian. That game would be less than ideal for the Vikings, as just four players converted a shot from the field, and the Vikings lost 56-49. to The Vikings found themselves as the 16th seed in the state tournament. With the added play-in round, the Vikings would host the Inchilium Hornets on Orcas Island. The Vikings started off red-hot on offense, putting up 19 points in the first quarter. Despite the nine-hour, two-ferry road trip, the Inchilium fans showed out for their team, keeping pace with the home crowd. No matter the attendance, the home team got a 35-25 halftime advantage. 
The Vikings gave their home crowd a show in the second half, giving the visitors nothing to cheer about, holding them to just 17 points in the full second half. The Vikings got a 63-42 win and advanced to the state playoffs. Throughout the history of the Washington State 1B tournament, the 16th seed has never won a game. That was until February 25th. The Vikings, fresh off a win over the Inchilium Hornets, traveled south to face Nia Bay at Tacoma CC. This would be the season's fourth matchup between the Vikings and Red Devils. Nia Bay had won the previous two, but the Vikings took the win in the only game played outside Nia Bay. We saw all the stops pulled out for a game of this magnitude, including a light show through the announcement of the rosters. The first possession went just to plan, as Aiden Murray won the tip-off and the Vikings found Joe Stevens in the corner to splash an early three. The Vikings kept the hot hand up, getting out to a 12 to nothing lead, thanks to Stevens and Lago. This explosion from the Vikings would have them up 21-4 at the end of the first quarter. No team can keep up that pace forever, but the Vikings got pretty close. Offensively, they didn't slow down, adding 18 more points, but Nia Bay seemed to find their offense to make it 39-22 at halftime. A game like this was going to be competitive no matter what, and that fact was known by both teams. Even up by 17, the Vikings were far from in the clear against a team like Nia Bay. Two very different teams came out of the locker room at halftime, with the Red Devils looking like the better team in the third quarter, going on an 11-5 run in just the first three minutes. Play like that would bring the home crowd back into the game to challenge the feeling of advantage that had favored the Vikings' side of the gym. A combination of increased offense from Nia Bay, a defensive letdown from the Vikings, and some questionable officiating had the game at just five, nearing the fourth quarter. But a three-point from Lago splashed through as time expired to go up 56-47. to Lago and the Vikings would do everything in their power to keep Nia Bay just out of reach as the lead, as possession after possession, the Red Devils seemed to take control, only for the Vikings to come up with answers time after time. With just a minute and a half, it was 65-63 to 63 Vikings. But who other than Lago would splash an NBA 3 to extend the lead to 5? Tommy Anderson Cleveland would catch a charge on the other end of the floor, and just like that, the Vikings had control of the contest. Lago got another bucket, and now the Devils were in a hole. With the score 70-63, to Nia Bay turned to fouling to try and get back in the game. And it could have easily worked, except the Viking big men secured the boards to get extra possession after extra possession to close out with a 73-63 win. Lago would finish with a ridiculous 32 points. This is arguably the biggest win for the team in the lifetime of any one of the players as they advance to Spokane, where they will play 8th-seeded Oakville for a spot in the last eight. 
The game is on March 1st at 9 p.m. Good luck, Vikings! And now, a few choice excerpts from the San Juan County Sheriff's Log. On February 15th, a San Juan deputy took a report of trespassing. The reporting party advised the deputy that people were walking on their private beach above the high tide line. They requested the involved parties be trespassed from their property. The deputy drew up trespass letters to be issued to the involved parties. San Juan deputies responded to a report of a domestic violence no-contact order violation. On arrival, the suspect fled from deputies. After a short foot pursuit, the suspect was taken into custody and booked into jail for the order violation and obstructing a law enforcement officer. On February 16th, the reporting deputy was dispatched to a theft. The person had caught the theft of a bike on camera. The person taking the bike was already in custody on other charges. A report was taken and the person was charged with theft. On February 17th, a Lopez resident reported a male driving a light blue Chevy truck was seen possibly casing properties in the area of Vista and Cousins Road. The male was described as having an aggressive demeanor. A San Juan EMS employee was flagged down by a passerby to report possible harassment. A deputy responded and learned that a political argument turned uncivil, but no criminal activity occurred. The incident was documented in a report. An Orcas deputy responded to a report of a woman in the middle of the road. The woman was contacted and refused to provide her identity. She was detained and later identified as having two warrants. She was arrested and booked into jail. On February 18th, a Friday Harbor resident put a note on her neighbor's door and thereby violating an anti-harassment order. On February 19th, a deputy on Orcas Island responded to a report of a person cutting up trees and taking the rounds without the permission of the property owner. The suspect was identified. The case was forwarded to the San Juan County Prosecuting Attorney's Office. On February 21st, a deputy on San Juan responded to a report of a possible drunk driver. The driver was located in their vehicle in their driveway. The driver was argumentative, stating they made it home safe and did not hurt anyone. The driver admitted to being intoxicated and was arrested for DUI. A report was completed. And that concludes the March 1st, 2023 edition of the Island Digest. This edition is brought to you by Orcas Center. Orcas Center is your place for fun and intrigue this winter with live concerts, performances, art openings, and more. To check out upcoming events and purchase tickets, visit www.orcascenter.org. Thank you for listening to the Island Digest a small sampling of what's in your local print newspapers this week. 
The journal, Sounder, and Weekly rely upon advertising, subscriptions, and donations to support our mission of high-quality community journalism. To contribute, visit our websites or email publisher Colleen Smith-Summers at csmith at soundpublishing.com. Thanks again for listening, and come back next week for more local news from San Juan County, Washington. I'm Caleb Summers.